Thanks, everybody. You can take a seat. Thanks, team. Now, I really, I really like that song. I really like that song. And over the past few weeks, I've got the impression uh, from other people that there are a number of other people who really like that song as well. I mean, I like it because it proclaims great truths uh, about the nature of God, doesn't it? It declares his everlasting faithfulness. God is faithful. His promises are true. But I also like it because the song somehow manages to capture into words some of the reality of my experience in life too, right? Which is that, you know, walking around these walls, I thought by now they would have already fallen. I thought that something was going to happen a particular way and at a particular time, but it, but it didn't. That, that's the reality of my life experience. But the song also expresses ideas and thoughts that really help build my faith because he made a way where there was no way and I believe that he'll do it again. It's cool, eh? I really like it. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, my family was sitting around the dinner table having an interesting conversation and I have to admit it is usually around the dinner table that most of the interesting conversations happen, isn't it? You know, the other night, what was it? It was, um, what is it about women that they can have babies, but men can't, uh, was the discussion the other night. And thankfully, that is not what God wants me to preach about today. Uh, I'm quite relieved about that. Um, but we were talking about church, and we were talking about God, and we were talking about hearing from God. And one of our kids who is desperate to hear from God, but worries that they're not sure if they have before, and they worry what happens if they, if they never do. And he declared that he wished it would be easier if God was easier to see, he, he, he wished that God was easier to see and hear in everything that we did. And his logic was that more people would believe in God if it was easier to see him and easier to hear from him. For example, he thought that maybe if God was, for example, sitting at our dinner table right there next to him, then it would be easy for him to see him and it would be easy for him to hear his voice and it would be easier to believe. And he wanted to know why, why God doesn't just do that. Why isn't that what he does? And I found myself giving him, a, giving him an answer that went a, a little bit like this. I said, well, the thing is, buddy, that there are two of the absolute most important parts of our relationship with God, are faith and love. And if God were to force a revelation of himself on us like that or on everybody without their actually wanting it or their desiring it, not only does he take away the need for faith, faith which is the evidence of things not seen, right? But he also kind of takes away some of our choice and our free will, and those are things that are essential if you're going to show love. I've got to choose to love, but if he's sitting right there telling me what to do, then kind of my, my, I don't need a lot of faith, and my choice is kind of a little bit gone. God wants us to grow in faith because without faith it's impossible to please him, and he wants us to grow in love because God is love, and he wants us to become like him. So God doesn't force this revelation on people if they're not seeking him. And afterwards, though, I, I found myself pondering. I thought, was it, was it a helpful answer to him? Is that going to help him grow in his faith? Or, or am I, is it just a cop-out? Am I just going, oh, no, no, it's all right, buddy. There's no evidence of God. Don't worry about it. Just have faith. Was, it, was that what I was saying to him? But the thing is, whether you like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's easy or not, our faith actually requires faith. 
we have to choose to believe evidence of things not seen. That's kind of what faith is. So after that conversation, and around the same time, we started singing that song that we've just sung here in the church. And a couple of Sundays ago, Carl spoke on faith. And so this morning, I want to share some thoughts and stories about three words that I've been contemplating that kind of sort of tie together a little bit. And those words are trust, understanding, and faith, and how they relate to each other. So let's start with a very familiar passage in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and hopefully it'll be up on the screen there for you. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So I'm sure many of you have heard that passage before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let's look at the, the second part first. Lean not on your own understanding. Have, have you ever thought about how the statement goes against the flow of, of Proverbs or even the idea of Proverbs? What is the book of Proverbs? According to the first two verses, the book of Proverbs have been given to us for attaining wisdom and discipline and for understanding words of insight. They are written to help us gain understanding. Well, that's what the Proverbs are there for. And then in Proverbs chapter 2, I've got some of the verses up here on the screen as well. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then a little bit further down, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. God wants us to gain understanding, it would seem. The whole book of Proverbs is there to add wisdom and understanding. The first two chapters are all about listening to instruction, gaining wisdom, and adding understanding. This is a very good thing to do, it would seem. And then it says, but don't lean on your own understanding. Add wisdom, gain understanding, but don't lean on it. Another way of translating the, the particular words used there is don't prop yourself up with your own understanding. Like something like this. Don't, don't put your whole weight on your own understanding. Because if something happens that you don't understand and your understanding falls, then guess what happens to you? You fall. Because you were propped up with, you were leaning on, you were putting your weight on your own understanding. But instead, it says, instead of that, trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways submit to him. Now, when the Bible talks about your heart, it actually implies a huge range of things. Um, in biblical times, for a start, the people viewed the heart as the, the center of your physical being. Not so much geographically, but kind of in the, in the middle of your mass, but also that the heart was the thing that gave life to and, and made every other part of your body move. So, in fact, when they talked about eating, they actually, you ate food in order to sustain your heart so that your heart could give life to the rest of your body. All right? So, when it says here to trust in the Lord with all my heart, it means I need to trust Him with my physical self, with my body and my well being. 
But in the Bible, the, the heart is also used to refer to things that are hidden or secret or unreachable. So if I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, I need to trust him with my innermost thoughts, my true nature, my hidden and secret self that no one else knows. But people in biblical times also referred to the heart as the center of our emotional and our intellectual being as well. And in the Bible, it's with our heart that we believe things. It's with our heart that we make decisions about things. It's in our hearts that we store things. It's from our hearts that the mouth speaks. So if I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, I need to trust him with every part of my physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual being to trust him in every realm of life. That's what this little verse says. Um, A year or so ago, uh, we were at the the Margaret Mahi playground in, in town, right, which is a fun place to go, and we had a good time with the kids. And one of the pieces of equipment they have there is this big slide. It's not, a, it's not a huge slide or anything, but it's sort of wide enough for a few people to go down, and it's got a hill you climb up and then come down. And our daughter, Brianna, on this particular reason, for some reason, and I, I don't, on this particular day, I don't know why, uh, but she was scared to come down it. She climbed up the top, and she was standing up the top, and she was just holding on to the side, and she wouldn't come down. And I was like, come on, come on, it'll be fun, but she didn't want to come down. So, okay, move out of the side so other people can come down. And I went up to try and convince her that she should come down the slide. And uh, even there, as we, we talked about it, we, she said, oh, well, I'll go down with you. Like other dads were taking their little kids down the slide. So, okay, sweet, we'll, we'll go down together. So we sat there on the slide, and I had her in front of me. And then even then, she was still freaking out. I don't want to go. She wouldn't let go of the side. And I was like, but buddy, we, we can go down the slide together. We'll be fine. And no, 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 I don't want to go. Now, as you can imagine, I was really, really patient and encouraging and supportive I said, sweetie, it's fine. It's fine. Look, the other 300 kids, they'll just wait patiently while we get this sorted out. That, that'll be fine. The other dads, that expression that they're looking at with me with right now, that's just admiration and respect that I would be so kind to my daughter to wait for her to be ready to go down the slide with me. Well, no, no, it's not, it's not quite how it happened. I was sort of more, come on, we have to go down or we have to get off. We can't just sit here and stop everybody else from going down the slide. Either we're going to go down the slide or we have to get out of the way, or we're going to start a riot in this place. There's hundreds of kids everywhere. But then I asked her a question. I said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And she said, yes. So I pushed her head first down the slide. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Do you trust me? Yes, I do. Okay, well, then we'll go together and it'll be all right. And we went down and guess what? She loved it and she spent the next half an hour going down the slide by herself because she enjoyed it so much. It was a bit of a shame. I wanted to go again, but I felt a little bit odd doing it by myself. (laughs) But it wasn't her understanding of what was going to happen that enabled her to go down the slide. It wasn't her experience of other slides or even her faith in the outcome of what was going to happen when she let go. It was actually her ability to go, yes, Dad, I trust you, and then I'll go down the slide. And I think that's what this verse in Proverbs is very, very much asking for. It's asking us to not put our weight on our own understanding, and it's not even necessarily asking us to put our faith in the outcome of a situation, but it's asking us to put our trust in the character and nature of God. And that's where I think there's a difference between these words. I can have faith 
that God can do something or will do something. Right? There's going to be an outcome. I can have faith in that. But I also can have trust in who he is. All right? So what is it about God that I can trust? And I think there's a whole lot of things, but really today I only want to mention one. And that is I can trust, as we've sung today, in his faithfulness. God is faithful. Lamentations 3 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. There's a wee passage in 2 Timothy 2 that I love. It says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. His faithfulness does not depend on mine. But how do I know that I can trust in God? How do I know that he's faithful? How do I build that trust in his faithfulness? Well, I've got three thoughts for you this morning. I can look to the testimony of scriptures. I can look to the testimony of others. And I can look to the testimony of my own life and discover that God is truly faithful. The scriptures are full of stories of God's faithfulness and full of stories of those who put their trust fully in him. I can go to the Bible, I can read the story of Moses and the promises God made to him and the miraculous delivery of God's people out of Egypt. I can read the story of Joshua, how God promised to be with him wherever he went and how he delivered the city of Jericho into Joshua's hands by having the people walk around the city walls over and over again and how Joshua trusted God's word that he walked around the city 13 times and then as as God promised, the walls came down. I can read the story of Job who despite the fact That he lost his family and all his possessions. He kept his trust in God, proclaiming, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I can read the story of David, who God protected from death over and over again, from a lion, from a giant, from a king gone insane. I can read the story of Jonah, who even though he was faithless and ran from God, God was faithful and saved him. With a great fish. I can read the story of Paul, who was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned, whipped, shipwrecked again, imprisoned again, shipwrecked again, and yet God restored him time and time and time again. These are stories of a faithful God. You say, well, David, that's well and good, but those stories are a long time ago. Then let me encourage you look to the testimony of others around you, listen to the stories of people in this church. And you can listen to the stories of those who were addicted to drugs, but have had an encounter with Jesus and been completely set free. You can listen to the stories of those who are incredibly sick and near death, but who God miraculously healed and restored. You can listen to the stories of those who were so full of anger and pain that they would literally pull their car off to the side of the road so they could go and pick a fight with someone, but who met Jesus and was transformed by his love. And that's just the pastoral staff. You can listen to the stories of older couples in this church who have been following Jesus for decades and decades and decades who can tell of his faithfulness throughout their entire lives. And believe me, some of our older couples would happily tell you stories. I won't look at anybody or name any names, but they will tell you their stories. You can listen to the stories of those who have put their trust entirely in Jesus 
even when they haven't received the miracle that they've been praying for. You can listen to the story of a member of my own family who went to a healing meeting where God completely healed them of a minor ailment that they had, but didn't heal them of a major ailment that they were carrying and had to have surgery for a few weeks later. Do I fully understand that? No. Does that develop my faith that God can heal? Well, yeah. But what it really meant to me was God was saying, David, do you trust me? Do you trust that I am your healer, even if I don't heal? I can heal you, but will you trust me even if I don't? You say, David, well, that's, that's all well and good, but those stories are still all about other people. Then let me encourage you, look to the testimony of your own life. Look for where you can see the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. Because I can tell you about when I was a student with no money and no job, but felt that God wanted me to give $100 to one of our, I think it was our first ever building campaign. $100 is not a lot of money, but it feels like quite a lot when you have no money and no income, right? And in the, the final days, in the week leading up to the offering, two things happened. One is I received $80 for some casual work I'd done a few weeks before that hadn't expected payment for. And walking home one day, one day, I found a $20 bill in the gutter on the side of the road. It's not like that's an amazing windfall or anything, is it? But it's $100. And what does it say to me? It says, it says I can trust God. And I mean, it's, it's also, it wasn't like it was a big blessing. I mean, I only had the money for two days before I gave it all away. But God saying, David, you can trust me. I can tell you about when Joe and I were wanting to buy a house and we'd put in an offer that we felt was probably the, really the, the maximum that we could afford. And that evening while the offering was be, being considered, we sat and talked about it and I said, Joe, you know, I can't understand how this could possibly make any difference when you're talking about that much money, but we could, we could actually afford another $500. We could, we could make that work. The bank would let us do that. We could, we could spend, we could pay another part. I can't see how that would make any difference on, on that much money, but we could do that. The next morning, we got a call from the real estate agent and said, literally the words were, for another $500, the house is yours. Now, that's not, that blessing cost me $500, plus interest, actually. <laughs> but what it cried out loud was that I can trust God with my finances. And I can tell you that this year we've faced several situations that have been really, really tough. And the outcome has not necessarily been what we wanted, when we wanted it, or how we wanted it. But that God has been right there with us in those situations, providing peace and comfort and making a way where we didn't see that there was a way. I can tell you about the faithfulness of God in my life because no matter how many times I trip up, break down, cave in, flake out, fall short, lose control, run aground, go astray, bite the bullet, kick the can, eat the dirt, or miss the mark, God is always there, and His forgiveness is always there, and His grace is always sufficient because even when I am unfaithful, He remains faithful for He cannot deny who He is. Even when I don't understand, even when I have such little faith, I can still trust in the faithfulness of God. In the book of Daniel, we read a story that illustrates these three words, these three ideas together, I think, really, really well. 
In chapter 1, we read about how King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, my son saw these names uh, this morning. He's like, what is that? What is that? What is that? But, you know, it's good. I, I think I'm saying them right. King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. He defeated the king of Judah, and he stole away some treasure, and he also stole and kidnapped some of the best and brightest young men from among the Israelites. And among those men that were taken with, with this guy Daniel and three other guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the guys, right? You know, shake your bed, make your bed, and into bed you go. Yeah. Everybody? No? Just me. Or just my dad. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about, though. These, these guys. And in the Babylonian temple, they remained faithful to God, and God blessed them with favor in the king's court. It says this in uh, Daniel 1:17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And then in verse 20, it said, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So these guys had great understanding, which God had actually given to them, and they were growing in that understanding. And then in chapter 2 of Daniel, we're told that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that disturbed him. And just so you understand what sort of king he was, his response to the dream was that he gathered all the magicians and sorcerers and astrologers and told them that they had to tell him both what his dream was and how to interpret it, please. And they were, no, this this is impossible. Please tell us what your dream was and then we'll interpret it for you. And He refuses to tell them, and he says this. This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. I think I really knew how to use the carrot and the stick, right? Like, here you go. But, of course, they couldn't do it. And the king was so furious that he actually decided to execute all the wise men in Babylon, not just the ones who had failed him. So so he sent out his men to find all wise men in his whole kingdom. (laughs) When you think you're the king, right? And he goes, my plan is I'm going to kill every wise person in my kingdom. That should help. But that was his plan. So that, of course, included Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But Daniel managed to buy some time, and he managed to get an audience with the king. and said, what, what's this all about? And he says, this dream. And he said, well, give me a day. And he goes back to the others, and they gather, and they pray. They seek God's wisdom and understanding about this dream. And through a vision, God reveals the dream and the interpretation to Daniel, which he then goes back. And Nebuchadnezzar was suitably impressed, and instead of having them cut into pieces and turning their houses into piles of rubble, he rewarded them and promoted them and appointed them all to very high positions in the kingdom. But then in chapter 3, the story takes an even uglier turn. And I think we all know this part, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar makes this gold statue, which everybody was to bow down to whenever they heard the music play. And those that didn't worship were to be thrown into a blazing furnace. And some of his, I don't know, that says they were astrologers and other people, they must have somehow escaped or they were new guys, I don't know. But they came to the king and said, look, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they are not bowing down to your image when the music plays. And so Nebuchadnezzar, being the guy he was, 
brought them before him and demanded that they bow down and worship. And this is how they replied in Daniel 3. This, it's amazing. It's fantastic. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We have faith that God is able to save us and that he will do so. We believe that he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will still trust him. We will still place our lives in his hands, for he is faithful and he is our God. We've seen him move before, O king, and we believe that we'll see him move again. He's made a way for us before, O king, and we believe that he will make a way again, even when our understanding tells us there is no way. But even if he doesn't, we'll still trust him with all our hearts and we will submit to him and not your idols in all of our ways. It's great stuff. And the king, furious, of course, which he tends to do, throws them into this blazing hot furnace and then looks and sees not three, but four men walking around inside the furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire completely unharmed. So God didn't stop them from going into the fire. Don't you wonder whether these three guys thought that maybe God actually had a few opportunities to do that? Like he could have changed Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He's done that sort of thing before. He could have brought down I don't know, some storm, some torrential rain, right? And put the fire out before they even got there. God has done that kind of thing before. He could have stopped time so that they weren't even thrown in the fire. He could have found a way for them to escape. He could have blinded the eyes of the guards. He's done that before, but he didn't. He didn't stop them from going into the fire. And at any point, these three men could have saved their own lives, right? They could have said, actually, you know what? I'll bow down to the golden image. But they didn't. They didn't lean on their understanding. They put their trust completely in God. And when they went into the fire, God was there with them in the midst of the fire. And then he delivered them from it. It's good stuff. And Nebuchadnezzar was suitably impressed again. And he responds, he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. And defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And I really wish he'd stopped there because that was a great statement for Nebuchadnezzar to make. But he carries on. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save this way. These men had great understanding, and they had great faith. But in that moment where they couldn't rely on their understanding, and where even in their faith they actually didn't know whether the outcome was sure or not, they had great 
trust. Because they trusted in the faithful nature of God. Can I get the team to come up? I'm, I'm nearly finished here now. I want to be someone who trusts God so completely that when he says that the walls are going to come down, then I will keep walking around them until they do. And if they don't come down on the 13th one, then I'm just going to keep going. If it's 20 times or 50 times or 100 times, because I can trust him. But I also want to be someone who has the faith to believe that this trip, the walls are coming down. But then if they don't, I want to be someone who trusts God and says, okay, God, they didn't come down, so I'm going to walk around the walls again because you said that they were going to come down. And I want to have the faith that time that this is the last time I'm going to go around these walls because I believe that God has the power to break through and overcome. But if he doesn't, I want to trust him and say, God, I still believe that you are faithful because that is who you are. And I will keep doing what you have asked me to do, whether I see the breakthrough or not. I don't want to just, I want to continue to add to my understanding, even my knowledge and wisdom of who God is and his relationship with me. I want to understand more and more, but I don't want to lean on it. I don't want to get caught up in it. I don't want to go, God, I really thought that you were going to bring the walls down this time. I thought that was the answer that you had given me. That's what my mind was telling me. I don't want to lean on that. Because God's saying, David, I know the walls haven't fallen yet. I know the storm isn't over yet. But do you still trust me? Do you still believe I'm faithful? Do you understand, David, that I knew when the storm was going to be over before you even knew a storm was coming? Did you know, David, do you understand that I knew the outcome of this trial before you were even aware that the trial was on its way? Do you have faith, David? Do you believe that I can bring the breakthrough? But will you trust me even if I don't? And I want to say, yes, God. I want to say, I have seen you move before. And I believe that I'll see you move again. I want to say, yes, God, I've seen you make a way where there seemed no possible way. And I believe that I will see you make a way again. I realize over the last couple of years, I have... My understanding of God and, and nature of God has slowly but increased. And I also believe that my trust in him, my understanding of how he is faithful and that I can rest in trusting him regardless of my circumstances, that has grown strong. But I feel like God is saying to me now and maybe some other people as well, but don't just stay there. Don't just get so caught up in that you trust him no matter what, that you just accept the no matter what. Because I am a God of breakthrough and overcome. And you can have faith and you can believe because I will do something that you did not expect. And I will make a way where there was no way. But if I don't, will you still trust me? But don't get caught in your trust that you stop believing that I'm actually going to break through in this situation. Trust, understanding, faith. I'd like you to stand with me this morning. We're going to sing a little bit of that song again. You probably guessed that was coming. And uh, this morning, I'd like to open an opportunity as we sing a few songs here. There may be people in this room who actually go, you know what, I, don't under- I just don't understand. I need more understanding. I, don't- I have such limited understanding of who God is and what that is. Well, God can reveal himself to you if you earnestly seek him. But there are others who maybe go, I 
I, can, I, I look at my life, I don't see those examples of God's faithfulness. Well, then this morning, then we want to pray for you that God would open your eyes to see where he has been in your life and where he has placed his hand and where he has been faithful and trustworthy over and over. But also this morning, we want to open up an opportunity for those of you who go, well, God, I trust you. I've, I trust my eternity to you. I believe that you are faithful, but God, actually, I need a breakthrough. I need an outcome in this situation that is before me right now. So we're going to sing this song and sing some other songs. And if you would like to come and receive prayer for that, then you are most welcome to do so.